electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now in Fast, J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon says the economy is doing well and the consumers got a lot of money, but a host of stocks levered to consumer spending getting hit hard today and seem to be telling a different story. Who's got the right read on where we stand? We'll debate that. Plus, a fast money face-off, an epic battle royale between the solid safe returns of bonds versus the titans of industry across the markets. A would-you-rather source to pin down our traders. And later, Netflix chilled the stock falling as the company cuts prices for subscriptions in a host of markets from Kenya to Croatia and beyond. Could it happen here as competition heats up? I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market side in the heart of Times Square on the desk tonight. Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, and Julie Beal. But we begin with a developing story, another potential black eye for Boeing as the airplane maker halts deliveries of its 787 Dreamliner. Phil LeBeau is on the fast line with the details. Phil. Melissa, we have confirmed this through the FAA that Boeing has, in fact, halted deliveries of the 787 Dreamliner. The reason it is analyzing a component within the 787 fuselage. And according to the FAA, these deliveries will not resume until the FAA is convinced that the issue has been addressed. But here's an important point. Boeing has not suspended production of 787 Dreamliners. So what does this mean? How significant is this pause in deliveries? The fact that the production continues and the fact that uh, the uh, FAA wants to make sure that the issue has been addressed tells me that what we could be looking at here, Melissa, is more of a documentation um, and inspection protocol issue as opposed to something more significant that might cause uh, production to be halted. So what we have is a halt in deliveries. When they resume, how long it will take to um, make sure that the FAA is comfortable with the, uh, uh, the process in terms of the uh, analyzing the component and everything is ready to go, that remains unclear, but no doubt. This is taking some air out of Boeing shares, uh, which, look, it wasn't long ago, Melissa, they went over $200 again, and people mm-hmm. were saying, look, we see nothing but great things for Boeing. This once again raises the question about their ability to ramp up and consistently stay at a higher production rate. Phil, will there come a time where we will learn more details about what exactly the FAA is looking at in terms of the component of the fuselage? Because the, the way you describe it, you make it sound like paperwork that they didn't file or something to that effect, something um, you know, regarding you know, a bureaucracy right. that hasn't been fulfilled, and the stock is down 3%. Keep in mind, it's not just paperwork. Um, for pretty much a year and three months, a year and four months, they were not delivering 787 Dreamliners, but they were still building Dreamliners, and that's why they have a a large backlog of them that have been built but not yet delivered. The issue when that took place was regarding the protocol, the process for inspecting uh, the fuselage within the Dreamliner. That may be what we have here, and in that case, uh, and it may be the case here, It's a situation where the FAA says, we want to feel more comfortable that each and every airplane is inspected and goes through the process that it is supposed to go go through before it's delivered. 
Again, we don't know if that is, in fact, what's happening here with the Dreamliner. But the fact that they have continued production indicates to me that this might be something similar to what we saw last year. And whether or not we get a more definitive uh, comment from Boeing remains to be seen. Phil, you know, we, we got a chance to speak to the CEO of Airbus this morning um, on Squawk Box. And when asked about China, he, I thought the CEO had a very interesting response in terms of whether or not Airbus had an advantage over Boeing. And I'm wondering if with every quote unquote black eye, um, product, not production halt, but delivery halt, any of these sorts of stoppages of some sort to getting those planes out the door, if that, you think, contributes to a reputational issue when it comes to these potential emerging growth uh, areas? That's always a possibility, Melissa, but I think that's really not the issue with China. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I think the issue between uh, Boeing not being able to deliver in China is geopolitical. The right. fact that we haven't got a trade deal that's worked out. Um, Boeing is still very popular in China, uh, and I think that its reputation uh, generally is a very high-quality one over there. All right, Phil, thanks so much. Phil LeBeau you bet. on Boeing. Uh, shares are down 2.4% here. This is a stock that's, that's run in the past few months. It's another one of these up 100% effectively. I mean, we're talking about a stock that was in the low hundreds in October, maybe back in June as well, rallied up to two and a quarter. Let's just dissect this. Dan was talking about this before, but peak earnings and peak revenue for Boeing somewhere in 2018, I think it was close to $10 billion of earnings, $100 billion in revenues, $17 a share. Now, that's been whittled down to probably about $6 a share at current levels. And at that peak, the stock was $470-ish stock. All putting together the pieces. People will sell first and ask questions later in this name because by not doing so in years prior, they've been smoked. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're going to see here. And the stock probably got itself a little expensive as well. We're through earnings. My sense is you're going to start to see some analysts downgrade this, maybe on valuation. It's not, again, to cast aspersions about Boeing. It's run a lot. People have been burned on the long side a lot. And I think it probably goes lower from this 202 level we're seeing right now. Yeah. Karen, what's your take? I agree with Guy. I think that, you know, in so obviously the 737 MAX was an extraordinarily terrible situation. Mm-hmm. Before that, though, this would have been the kind of thing that would, would be really nothing, nothing right? Yeah. I don't think the stock would move. And if it were down, I think people would use it as an opportunity to jump in. But given that they have to do every bend over backwards in every way possible, and given the run it's had, I think it's sort of prudent to just wait if you want to buy some. Yeah. Julie? Yeah, I mean, uh, fuselage sounds kind of serious, kind of serious. Um, I think people are going to be pretty spooked. And a lot of people had quite a bit of PTSD from last time with the 737 MAX. So I think it makes sense to kind of pause and wait, especially with this rally. It's not like even when it's down 2 to 3% that this thing is cheap. All right. Let's get to the latest signs of consumers getting tapped out now. Domino's plunging almost 12 percent today after an earnings miss. Inflation and a shortage of drivers, a big part of the shortfall. Papa John's also under pressure again. Earnings coming in below estimates. Both companies forced to raise prices to offset higher costs. Then there's Wayfair tumbling 23 percent. The online furniture retailer shedding 5 million customers and losing $1.3 billion last year. It's a lot of shelves. Uh, the pain even hitting the dollar stores. Dollar General posting its lowest close since May on a profit warning. Dollar Tree falling in sympathy. So Jamie Dimon says the consumer has a lot of money, but the results seem to tell a different story. 
Dan, what do you think? Yeah, you know, this goes back a month ago when we started getting some of the bank earnings and some of the, mm -hmm. the, the credit uh, card companies. And when we saw some disappointing results from Capital One, but we saw great results from American right. Express. And so maybe we're just seeing this kind of bifurcation with the U.S. consumer um, right now. You know, again, I think it's important to remember, while we talk about a lot of these layoffs that we've seen over the last couple of months, we also have unemployment at 3.4 percent, which is, you know, a 53-year low. And so that is the, the back and forth here. I know we're going to talk about Jamie Dimon, but just think about seven, eight months ago, what he was saying about the economy and what he was saying on the air today. And so there's just, it seems like we're going to be having to figure this thing out as we get the data, as it's coming out, you know, week after week, month after month. And, and again, I just can't imagine, though, that we just have a soft-ish landing when it comes to this consumer, because if you're looking at the stuff that we're seeing and that subprime sort of category, it doesn't seem great. And I just feel like that has to kind of work its way into the other parts of the economy and uh, other parts of the consumer. If you look at the retailers that have reported the, and the names you just mentioned now, it's not necessarily the quarters they reported because you can make an argument that some of these quarters are actually okay. The Domino's quarter specifically was fine. Mm -hmm. It's the guidance. Yeah. And that's what should concern people because obviously they have some clarity. They have some vision in terms of what they're seeing and it doesn't look particularly good. And I think most of these retailers and some of these restaurants no longer can pass the costs on to their customer, which is a real problem, as we've discussed a number of times. It's going to really impair them on the margin side of things, which effectively will hurt earnings as well. That's what we're on the, not the precipice of, we're in the middle of now. And that's why, at least for myself, I've been as bearish as I've been because of what we're starting to see now. Let me just Wayfair, which is uh -huh. sort of a, a different animal somewhat, right? It is very, the sort of growth at all costs mm -hmm. and money losing and a very tech company that happens to be in the furniture business, obviously very housing correlated. Sure. And, you know, when you start to see that, I mean, that was a pretty significant drop off in the number of, uh, of yes, mm -hmm. that's really going the wrong way. And so the stock is down a lot, but it was it was in the stratosphere of, you know, money is free forever and down, however, an enormous amount from there still doesn't make this one cheap. Right, right. So um, even down a lot, I mean, it got, it got obliterated today. It, it should have, though, um, because of how much money they're losing. All right. Yeah. Um, and, and think about interest rates and what that's doing in terms mm -hmm. of debt burden on the consumer, Julie, and gas prices, which are expected to head higher. I mean, Russian sanctions on refined products just went into effect this month, the beginning of this month, and that's expected potentially because of a refining shortage uh, worldwide to drive gas prices higher, pardon the pun, drive gas prices higher um, by summer. Yeah, I mean, I think both, all of these things can be true, right? The consumer can still be out there spending in certain sectors, so mostly services as we've seen them transition away from hard goods like getting their, their sprucing up their home. But they are also feeling the pinch of their wallet just really not being able to cover some of these costs. I think what you're going to continue to see with retail earnings is a real dispersion of how well they do. So the ones that are really delivering customers something that is really attractive and appealing, I think they'll be fine. And the ones that are just selling any old thing, it's just really competitive and difficult out there. And consumers are paying attention to how they're spending their money. I would just note, Dollar General, if you look at its results in past recessions, it powers right through them. It benefits from a trade-down consumer, and it has you know, great value for them. So I wouldn't count them all the way out. 
I'm actually surprised, Guy, you didn't talk about the general. No, I, yes, thank you, because that's one that I've learned. It was a disaster today, and Julie's right. They've been able to power their way through, except that their guidance, again, was, I think, gave people pause. Obviously gave people pause if you see the magnitude of the sell-off, which is probably the biggest one we've seen in the years we've been talking about the name. I think the other thing that concerned people, other than the guidance, was the fact that people looked past valuation for a long time in this name. They were able to sort of wrap their head around it, but you can't wrap your head around it with the guidance that they gave. There will be a level to buy the stock, and I'm totally with Julie. People will re-engage with Dollar Gen, but again, it comes back to this whole thing. Sell first, ask questions later. We're seeing it in Boeing, and we clearly saw it in Dollar Gen. Yeah, it's interesting. If you could throw that, that Dollar General chart back up there, the one year, it's it was about to make a new all-time high in October. And you know what was making a low at that point was the S&P 500. And look at how they've acted on an inverse. You know, that yeah. thing is down maybe 17 18%. And the S&P from its lows was up just about that. So that speaks to some of the rotations that we saw in the last part of the year into this year. And so it's interesting, though, that that's starting to lead to the downside. I also think it's interesting that in a week that we had, we had Home Depot down 7% the day after their earnings. Right. And then what Walmart had to say about the trade down, you guys are talking about that right now. Walmart initially acted really well, and then over the last two trading days has acted very poorly. So to me, you might see actually you know, more correlation in this space as we do talk about higher rates for longer, what that means for this certain type of consumer. We might just be getting started, I think, with that recession talk again. And really what's happened is we've just pushed that out a little bit. So well, a lot of people were thinking, and I guess the market was pricing at the October lows, that we we're going to have this recession really start at some point in Q1, Q2. Maybe it starts at the end of Q2 and it goes to the back half of the year. All right. For more on what's next for the markets, let's bring in Kristen Bitterly. She's City Global Wealth Management's head of North American Investments. Kristen, great to have you with us. We were just talking about um, the mixed signals that we're getting about the consumer when it comes to the high-end consumer versus the low-end consumer. I'm wondering where you stand on that and how that educates your view of what the risk reward is in the markets right now with the S&P, you know, at 4,000 roughly. Yeah, you really have to look through the data because I think the headline data can actually be pretty confusing. So, for example, one of the data points that came out recently was around retail sales. And at first glance, it looked really strong at plus 3%. But there are a lot of adjustments that come in, especially in that January data, to factor in seasonal adjustments. So the unadjusted data was a decline of 16%. And so in reality, what we're paying attention to are things that are changing the consumer behavior, changing their spending patterns, because that's 16 70 percent of GDP. And so credit card balances, we're keeping a close eye on credit card balances, which have already eclipsed pre-pandemic highs. Consumers have already spent through that stimulus, and now they're actually spending based on credit. And so their behavior, we're starting to see these changes in terms of trading down, whether it's in the retailers, spending on durable goods as opposed to um, as opposed to discretionary goods. And so these are all things that are going to affect numerous parts of the economy and definitely corporate earnings. It's Karen. Thanks for being on. Let me ask you, you have a great uh, insight into the consumer, given that, you know, you see so many, uh, I don't know how many billions of transactions, but for the, the higher end, the luxury good market, that seems to be completely impervious to whatever economic cycle we may be in. Or do you think that will continue? Do you think that divergence from the consumer who may be getting a little weaker? I mean, it is interesting because you have started to see in the in the luxury part of the market, or you could say within ultra high net worth, high net worth, those are the more 
they're not as sensitive to inflationary pressures as in other parts of, of the consumer. So where you're starting to first see the cracks is obviously in the most heavily impacted from an inflation standpoint. But I think some of the interesting things happening from retailers are, are quite curious in terms of that trade down effect and almost that you're seeing some new consumers. We saw this recently, actually last quarter from Walmart, that they were getting new consumers, new customers into their overall base. And so I think those those spending patterns, it's not just that one part of, of the economy. It's starting to trickle through in all areas. Kristen, what are your thoughts on unemployment and, and just the job market in general? I mean, it's incredible how tight the labor market is, how sticky this unemployment rate is around three and a half percent. This is just my opinion. I'm pretty convinced if the Fed could wave their magic wand, they'd want this thing to trend up to five percent and let that do their job for them. It's just not happening. You're seeing some things, though, I think, in the housing uh, sector that interests you on that front. Yeah, so I, I think what we have to do is break down um, leading indicators versus lagging indicators when it comes to the overall health of the economy and what could actually lead to then some declines in, in the employment rate. And so we've been following housing very closely. Leading indicators, so obviously the, the famous ones, the inverted yield curve in terms of signaling a recession, but also new housing starts. So in the housing market, what we saw in 2022 was a big decline in new home sales and resales of existing homes, 30, 40 percent. New housing starts, though, just started to decline at the end of last year. When we look at that into Q1 of this year, we're seeing that continued decline. And that's a part of the market. We talk a lot about the tech layoffs, but technology only represents around two and a half to three percent of the overall existing labor force, where something like construction is substantially more. So that's something that from one day to the next, you could actually see a couple of hundred thousand jobs impacted as opposed to what we're seeing presently. And that definitely would have an impact on the overall consumer spending backdrop. So, Kristen, we're going to end it with this question. Um, if you had fresh money to put to work right now in the markets, would you put it in a one-year T-bill or S&P 500? I would, I have a, I have a hedge to this. I would put it in T-bills at this moment However, I would also hedge out that reinvestment risk and I would diversify across fixed income, an area that we love in the market right now, preferreds, both from the investment grade issuers, you're getting mid to high single digit yields on a tax equivalent basis. You're actually getting high single digit yields. So managing some of that reinvestment risk and duration risk and complementing that, especially if you're sitting in cash, make sure that you're getting the best interest. And even six month T-bills are a pretty attractive, attractive yield at around 490. Yep. Kristen, thanks. Kristen Bitterly of City and Karen. Yes. You uh, bought treasuries yourself. I did. You know, every, it seems like all the rage these days. It is all the, all cool the rage. Kids are I know. We were just talking about our little <laughs> treasury purchases, and I never made one until last year. Now I've made two. Yeah. Julie? Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to argue for, you know, being bold up about treasuries when, you know, all we do is equities. I, the reinvestment risk is not to be overlooked. I think being able to time the market is not something that I feel most people can do very well. And so I think you still want to have some level of investment in equity markets, especially with unemployment the way it is. 
All right, so every once in a while, I like to quote our friend Rosie. Remember David Rosenberg, Rosenberg Research? He had a tweet this morning. I love this tweet. Um, a guy and I had already, I think we read it back to each other like four or five sure. times today. Um, <laughs> the no landing narrative is the biggest hoax Wall Street economists have peddled since the decoupling. Remember that global decoupling yeah. 2008 thing? Okay. Follow the leading indicators. And I mentioned that because that's what you just said. Follow the leading indicators. And to me, I just think that's really important. Like these really silly narratives get like they bubble up a little bit, right? right? And some of these economists are so disconnected from markets, right? And so, in my opinion, I mean, a lot of them are academics, that sort of thing. And so, what I love about a guy like Rosie, like, he's been in the pits, you know, in the yeah. trading pits. Mm -hmm. He's also an economist. He also likes to pick apart what I think sometimes is the universal bullish sort of consensus here. And so, follow leading indicators. She just said it, too. Mm -hmm. The other night, didn't you yourself just say that no landing was the stupidest thing you've ever heard? Yeah. Something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah. No surprise that you like that. So, tweet. Rosie, yeah. fan of the show. What yeah. about, like, what about, like, a, a Carrie Strug landing? Yeah, she's great. Just, uh, yeah, yeah, she's just, 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 you know my thoughts about with the yeah. broken yeah. ankle. What did she really have, or was she was it was it theater at the highest level? Now I know oh. Carrie Strug is a, a huge fan of theater. Yeah. She's fast just, money, and I'll wave the flag like everybody else. But that was a little fugazi, if you ask my opinion. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of Carrie Strug fans are going to be writing in right I'll now. I'll do a back. I'll do a back handspring right now. When we come back. <laughs> All right, coming up. We've got some after-hours action shares of Block and Carvana on the move after reporting results. We're bringing the details from the quarters next. Plus, Google grinding lower, down more than 15% from recent highs. And the bad news keeps rolling in, the latest hurdle facing the tech titan ahead. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Now is the time to embrace a new wave of workers. Every day, your team grows younger, more digital, and more drawn to entirely new ways of working, which means you need flexible solutions to connect them where business gets done. T-Mobile for Business was born digital. With America's largest 5G network, we can make it easier to work together from virtually anywhere. Your team may be changing, but with the right tech, it can be more productive than ever before. Get started at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings alert on Block. Shares of the fintech company initially lower, but now jumping after reporting a mixed quarter. EPS coming eight cents below consensus, but revenues beating estimates. Steve Kovac joins us with the latest from the earnings call. Steve. Hey there, Melissa. Yeah, shares moving higher despite the miss on EPS as the company is showing healthy growth on a gross profit basis. Now, overall, company is showing 40% gross profit growth for Q4 compared to the year ago quarter and 33% growth for just January and February of this year. Uh, breaking down by segment, though, let's start with the cash app segment. Gross profit is up 22% year over year to $801 million. And for the square business, that's the point of sale business, gross profit is up 64% year over year to $848 million. Also, by the way, the value of Bitcoin on the balance sheet fell a bit because of the price of Bitcoin to $133 million in the quarter. Now, I spoke earlier with Block CFO Amrita Huja about the growth in those segments. She credited the 
sticky ecosystem of the cash app and the cash card. And on the square side, some insight into consumer habits, telling me there was some moderation in spending in discretionary items like beverages and retail, but that was made up by spending on services like health and fitness. Now, the call is just getting started, and I'll have more updates for you guys as they come in. All right. Thanks, Steve. Steve Kovac up 6.7% right now. Block. You're all calling it square still, right? Um, Again, I'm just going to say this. I mean, I I just think PayPal is a much better value for growth that's not too far off, better margins, uh, that sort of thing. I think they're obviously doing some things okay over there at the block, but they're also on a gap basis losing a lot of money still. And so I guess in this environment where we're going to be dealing with higher rates for longer, I'd much rather go for a maybe slightly slower growing but more profitable um, company like a PayPal. So to me, that's where I'm focused on. In this environment, I don't know if these PEs fly. However, I think it was good enough. If you look at the stock, I mean, look where we bottomed out in March of 20. Look at where we bottomed out over the last three or four months. Didn't you do an OA on the square on CNBC's Fast Money last evening? You were paying attention. Pay the cheapest thing you can do. By the way, Friday's at 530. You should watch. It's going to be fantastic. But I actually think you can trade this from the long side here. I will tell you that I think analysts will start raising their numbers on the back of what was actually a decent quarter. Now, I'm not saying it's going back to the all-time highs by any stretch, but this can run for you here on the upside, Melms. All right. Carvana is also out with results. The stock is volatile after reporting a wider-than-expected loss in Q4. The company citing cooling used car demand. Retail units sold dropped by 23% year-on-year. The conference call kicking off just minutes from now, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Karen, this is a story you are fascinated by. I am fascinated by. I mean, obviously, the pandemic was the greatest thing imaginable sure. for uh, deliver a car to my Without home. Touching Without touching anything. Without touching. Absolutely extraordinary. The balance sheet is kind of a mess. They did seem to somehow come up with more liquidity than I imagined they would. They seem to have just borrowed against everything possible. They have a uh, cost-cutting plan in place. They lost more per vehicle. Uh, thank God they didn't sell more cars. Right. Sort of an accounting <laughs> joke, but the, I just find it kind of amazing. It's a huge short interest. I'm long puts. They're probably going to go to zero. I have March expiration because I want to wait to see. They've got some very big interest payments coming due. Seems like with this liquidity, they can pay them. Uh-huh. So the bottom line is they're still alive as an right. equity. Right, right, right. Right. Well, and that's worth something. I mean, I was just skimming through the investor deck. There are more. They ended the quarter with more vending machines than they started the quarter with. Like, what yeah. are they doing with these vending machines? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> they're not selling cars. I mean, they're selling cars. They're not selling as many cars. They're losing money on each car sold. Right, right. I, I and mean, yet they have more vending machines. It's just, it's, it's insane. unbelievable. And Karen's puts are going to, listen, her timing might be a wee bit off, and in our world, you know, That's being early is, but, but. Her thesis is spot on with this thing. I mean, the equity could bounce on the back of this maybe, but I think there's an inevitability to this entire thing that Karen is nailed, in my opinion. All right. There is a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. The fastest route to more trouble? Alphabet facing yet another headwind, this time over its Maps app. Details on the tech turmoil next. Plus, get ready for a fast face-off. Treasuries yielding more than just a handful of stocks. So with these big moves in bond markets, where should you park your money? The yield hunt is on, and the traders have their picks ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a buzzkill on Alphabet shares lower for a fifth straight day and down nearly 16% from the highs of the month. The latest hurdle, Alphabet could be facing a third lawsuit by the Department of Justice, which is looking into whether the company is illegally forcing app developers to use both Google's Google's maps and search products together. The stock down as much as 2% at lows today, uh, closing off just one under a percent here, 0.8%. Karen, what do you make of this slide? Well, I, you know, not happy. There's that. But I did buy some options today uh, for next earnings. I just feel like, you know, there's a lot of negativity surrounding the name, understandably so, for a lot of reasons we talked about ad nauseum. Um, but, however, this still is an extraordinary company that now when you back out the huge cash hoard is trading below a market multiple, mm-hmm. which to me seems excessive excessively penalized. So right. um, so I bought more here. It's This is more of a timing trade than, um, you know, I have a big position already. I trimmed some when the chat GPT thing started to really take hold, and now I'm buying it back. Julie, what do you think the slide is all about? Is it um, concerns about an existential risk of some sort because of uh, chat GPT and, and Bing, or is this just the markets don't want tech right now? I, I think it's actually both. Uh, I think if you look at the rest of tech, it's it's really been dragged down pretty hard. Um, and then people were really concerned about the, the chat GPT situation, which, you know, I actually think gives them a, a, a leg to stand on when they're talking to regulators about, you know, competition. It's going to really help them to be able to say, aha, we have chat GPT now and it's super elegant way to look at doing search. So I think it actually helps them longer term, because I I continue to believe that regulation is going to be the biggest thorn in the side of Google. When you have this level of market share and this level of profitability, people are going to come after you. But I agree with Karen. I think it's overdone when you consider the level of market control they have. I agree there should be a discount given the uncertainty around it, but not this. This is too much. Yeah, it's pretty astounding. I mean, the stock was making a new all-time high in early January of 2022. So just a little more um, than a year ago, put up a great quarter. And I mean, at that time, I think a lot of investors were not concerned about what the regulatory headwinds for these companies are, because we've been talking about it for so long. And so when you think about it, okay, down 40%. And if you look at those estimates for 20% earnings growth for the next couple of years and sales growth in the mid to high teens, trading at below a market multiple, you know, 17 times this year, uh, you know, 14 times next. What investors are saying right now is they don't believe those estimates and they're still waiting. And that's the one thing that we've talked about all of these earnings periods over the last few years. Why have we rallied, you know, kind of in and around them? It's because we haven't had those big gut punches. We have not had these companies that guide down for the full year. We were sitting here waiting for the NVIDIA guidance last night and you were like, have they guided for the full year? And none of these companies are doing that. You know why? The visibility is horrible. So we're getting death by a thousand cuts. This stock might be cut in half from its all time high. But it might also happen without a meaningful guide down for a full year guidance or so. And that's what's different about this cycle to me. 83 and change, I think, was the low in November. I'm hard pressed to believe we get there, although if the broader market is going to cooperate to the downside, maybe we do. But this is levels where if you've been looking to get into Google, I mean, these are these are levels where you start layering in, I think.
right, coming up, the yield hunt is on with rates on the rise. Is it better to be in stocks or bonds? The traders have their picks in a fast money face-off. That's next. And a global subscription update. The moves Netflix is making in pricing that has shares streaming lower. The details when fast money returns. They see a window of opportunity for equity markets to rebound. Let's go to work. Countdown to the opening bell. important hour of trading starts right now. Where do you want to be in a still cautious and uncertain environment? Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks riding a roller coaster today, but major averages all ending in the green. The S&P breaking a four-day losing streak to rise half a percent, close back above the 4,000 mark. The Dow racing a 250-point loss to end the day up over 100 points. The Nasdaq led the gains and climbed back into positive territory for the month. Energy stocks among the best performers today as the sector posts its first gain in eight trading sessions. And take a look at Treasury rates down today, but the one-year T-bill still yielding above 5%. That's better than the dividend yield on all but 20 S&P 500 companies. Now, the wild moves in the bond market got us thinking, are treasuries a better place to park your money than really any stock? Let's find out with a fast face-off, a matchup of stocks versus bonds. Round one with the one-year T-bill above 5%. (laughs) Would you rather... That's wonderful. Sorry. All right. Would you rather own that, the one-year T-bill, or... Apple. Dan, what would you say? I mean, I'm just not a T-bill sort of guy. So no matter what know? we put up there, we would, Probably. You would say that was, uh, I, Carvana I wasn't going to play your T-bill? game. I mean, Carvana is a great example. That stock could be up be 200% right. and, you, and you know you could only lose 10 bucks. You know what I mean? So it depends what, what percentage you're going to lose. Portfolio. Block. I mean, really, you would always correctly. say, Come can on, you just, we're giving you a choice. Can you just... I've said on numerous occasions over the last few months, if Apple could go down and stay down for a little bit, I think it's going to be one of the best owns, I think, in the entire market leading us out of this. I, I really do. And I don't I don't agree with some of the people who said that it's going to be a different set of leaders that lead us out of this bear market. I think Apple will be one of them. I don't love the fact that the stock has just gone from 120 to 150 in a straight line. I'm meaning for the idea of buying here versus the 5% T-bill. I think T-bills are a great place right now to park some money that you don't want invested. There is an alternative right now. That being said, if Apple were to go back towards 125, I would be a buyer of that stock. All right. Thank you for playing the game, Dan. Finally, it took a little bit of teeth pulling, but, you know, whatever. Uh, round two here. Round two. The one year versus Eli Lilly. Julie. Well, I mean, it's very exciting to be thinking about Eli Lilly, particularly their new Manjaro drug, which is a competitor for Zempic. And, you know, it's this miracle weight loss, which if you spend any time on TikTok, which I do way too much, and I'm sad to admit it, um, you can, it's really spread like wildfire. The level of word of mouth that this drug has received is kind of unreal. And Eli Lilly has made the decision to 
move it from just kind of consumer usage to proper commercial usage for diabetics, it's probably going to be approved for obesity at the end of the year. And it has a massive runway, right? So I'm always going to bet on the U.S. consumer, frankly, the global consumer's desire to be thinner over the Treasury. Sorry. That's a pretty powerful proposition, actually. <laughs> Up next here, the one year or Toll Brothers. Karen. Mm. Interesting. They're both interest rate sensitive, mm-hmm. right? So they'd both like to see rates trade down a little bit. But I think that the risk reward for me in T-bills, I mean, I'm just talking my book. I bought T-bills today. So, um, you know, plus you you have a couple of interesting scenarios that could happen in T-bills. On the black swan kind of event, something with a default, which I don't think is likely. Mm -hmm. I think more likely some sort of geopolitical event and a flight to quality. Um, If that were the case, that would be very, very bullish for T-bills. All right. And finally, one year versus Occidental Petroleum, Guy. And of course, that is one of the O's in your mojo trade. Yes, as I mentioned last night. It might be night. the first or the Yeah, does it really matter? No. And with apologies to the lacrosse fogos, yeah. Dan, all you hockey center icemen, and of course, the great John Woo, because we're sort of mixing our metaphors here, so if you know what I'm saying. Nick Cage, Travolta. Nick, Nick Cage, 1997. Yeah. I would go with Occidental, Mel. And it's not that I'm, you know, listen, it's not that I'm, I don't want to get into the T-bill thing because somebody should have said it. It's not going to be me. But Occidental, as you know, Warren Buffett now owns over 20% of the company. Goldman Sachs, I believe on Valentine's Day, upgraded it, mm-hmm. $81 price target. These downstream plays are in vogue. They report, I believe, on Monday. And I think the stock's got some juice to the upside. So for me, it's Oxy because if I didn't pick it, my mojo trade, you would have said, well, wait a second, G-Swiz, isn't O- There's no Ox- T in mojo. <laughs> right. So, I, you know, I, I got to be consistent here. Right. So, okay. Oxy. Coming up, Netflix nosedive. Pricing changes sending the streamer lower. We've got the details ahead. And during February, we are celebrating black heritage. Here's one of our own CNBC teammates. My parents first inspired my interest in news. As immigrants, they taught the importance of global awareness, education, and civic engagement. My parents left their home country of Liberia during a terrible civil war to build a new life and careers and to create opportunities for my brothers and me. Both of my parents, they're educators. My dad recently retired from a long career spanning academics, research, and public service. And during this time, he fulfilled a lifelong dream of running for president back in Liberia. I am inspired by their story. We've got an update on the Boeing story we brought you at the top of the hour. Phil LeBeau spoke with the company, and this is what they told him. In reviewing certification records, Boeing discovered an analysis error by our supplier related to the 787 forward pressure bulkhead. We notified the FAA and have paused 787 deliveries while we complete the required analysis and documentation. There's no immediate safety of flight concern for the in-service fleet. Production continues, and this is not expected to increase airplane rework. We are communicating with our customers. We'll continue to follow the lead of the FAA. While near-term deliveries will be impacted, at this time we do not anticipate a change to our production and delivery outlook for the year. 
We still have the, the shares down by about 2.7 percent, so really unchanged. We'll see if the stock reacts now that we have the statement out, thanks to Phil LeBeau. Uh, meantime, moving on to Netflix, shares sinking on news. The company cut subscription prices in more than three dozen countries. According to a Wall Street Journal report, the cuts apply to certain tiers and in some case, cases have the cost of membership. The changes will not affect U.S. customers, but comes as Netflix cracks down on password sharing and increased competition. And you have to wonder, I mean, it's a lot of countries. We don't know, you know, if, if, if they're cutting prices in Croatia, does, is that going to be meaningful to well, them we in know, the long run? We but, know Vietnam, Indonesia, Thailand, Philippines, mm-hmm. the Asian um, countries are their lowest revenue, less than half of mm-hmm. the United States. So that's going to be less important. But as a message, I mean, that's concerning, not just for them, but of course, for every streamer as well. And maybe that's, I don't know if that's why they're doing it or they feel like they need to to just uh, in a bubble, regardless of what the competition. Yeah, you know, 55 percent of those sales do come from outside the U.S. and Canada. And I think to Mel's point, I mean, they're going to be figuring out different ways to kind of crack down on the password sharing. And maybe it's just easier than that rather than create an ad supported model and all this other stuff that takes to do it. Maybe just cut prices and you kind of retain a certain amount of those customers. So I'm sure they're thinking about it um, and and using a lot of data to to figure out correctly. I was surprised at the magnitude in which the stock was down on that headline today without putting any numbers to it. Another member of the 100 percent club having Mm -hmm. rallied 100 percent from the lows we saw in the case of Netflix, you know, that whole period of time, spring in the last summer. So now I have to ask, where am I getting back into stock? Because it actually ran more than I thought it would, but it topped out at levels we sort of broke down from back in April, if you want to go back and look. 280 is the right number. Now, people say it's never going to get back there. You know what? Don't say never in this stock market because weird things happen all the time. But if this stock were to get back down to 280, 285, it makes a lot of sense. Again, back in terms of valuation and where we sort of had the next leg higher from a few months ago. Yeah. Julie, do you think this is a sign of a bad, you know, maybe slowing growth, et cetera? Or was this just a case of this is an excuse to sell off a big run up? I think it's the latter, actually. I mean, look, price is a really powerful indicator that we use to, to understand the health of the business, right? But the thing about Netflix is they have this ridiculously high budget for production. And so every incremental subscriber they can grab is meaningful to them from a profit perspective, right? They have to pay for the studios regardless. So there's a very strong incentive for them to do that. And if you look at the way they, where they took the cuts, it's mostly on their basic plans. Their premium plans didn't change pricing that much. So I think what they're trying to do is grab an incremental customer. I don't even think it's a question of trying to save it, save customers at the low end. I really think they're just trying to make their market as large as possible. It's just a classic land grab. It makes sense, but I wouldn't like it if I were a shareholder. All right. Coming up, American Airlines taking flight. Shares up big this year. And the move is options traders boarding this trade. How they're playing the name next. Back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings alert on Beyond Meat. Shares jumping after the plant-based food company posted a smaller-than-expected loss in the latest quarter and better-than-expected revenues. The stock is still down nearly 60% in the past year. Pippa Stevens got the details. Pippa. Hey, Melissa. Well, shares are jumping 12% after those better-than-expected results, with the company also giving upbeat full-year revenue guidance. Now, Beyond Meat said it is restructuring certain operating activities related to its jerky business. On the call just now, CEO Ethan Brown calling it a challenging year. Revenue during the fourth quarter was down 20 percent year over year, driven by both light sales as well as reduced prices. The company saying that all markets and channels were negatively impacted by continued softness in demand 
due in part to increased competition as well as consumers trading down. The company said it continues to consume quite a bit of cash and said if it makes sense to do some sort of raise to put more of a buffer on the balance sheet, it will. Melissa? Pippa, thanks. Pippa Stevens, uh, by the way, it's a 37% short interest on this one. So maybe this huge uh, pop in the afters. Not, not entirely surprising. Guy, we haven't talked about Beyond Meat in a well, long time. For a myriad of different reasons. <laughs> yeah, the, the short, yes, you're going to see a bounce in this name. Mm-hmm. And when she said beef jerky, you giggled <laughs> and I giggled. And I know we got well, Coco beware just, here. It's just jerky. Because yeah. there's no beef. No, she called it a jerky uh, business, jerky though. And I thought that was business. a little bit harsh. <laughs> but I also thought what could happen, jerky, beyond jerky in your constitution would be. Well, I mean, if you go back to the great, I'm sorry, Mike, because we have to do options. But trading places when Eddie Murphy was in the train and he explained what beef jerky yeah. did to his constitution. True. You can imagine what it does to mine as well. So ditto that. Ditto okay. that. Back I'm just to looking you, to add real quick. They did a secondary a couple of months after the uh, IPO at $160 a share. Yeah. Good for them. Good for That's them. The days. Yeah. For them. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the airlines now outperforming the broader markets with uh, American jumping 2% to almost 2%. The stock is now up more than 24% this year. And one options whale is betting that it could fly even higher into spring. The aforementioned Mike Coe is here on set with the action, Mike. Yeah, so American Airlines, we saw it trade more than two times its average daily call volume today. The busiest contract were the April 17 calls. Those traded over 52,500 contracts at an average price of about 64 cents. That included some big institutional blocks that took place early in the day. 27,000, I think 35,000 actually traded before 10 o'clock this morning. Buyers of those obviously betting that the stock is going to rally through that $17 strike price. The break-even is the January 18th intraday high of 17.64, and they will be reporting earnings on the 21st of April. Wow. Mike, how does a company like this, Karen Lake's talking about balance sheets, $10 billion market cap, $9 billion in cash, and $44 billion in debt. How do they fly their way out of that one? Well, I mean, that's actually why you want to trade options, because the equity gets a lot more volatile the more levered the balance sheet is. And that's one of the reasons why paying 4% of the current stock price for an out-of-the-money call like that makes sense if you are inclined to make a bullish bet. Where can we learn more about that? Well, I would imagine <laughs> at 5.30 tomorrow, we'll have options action. That's Mike right. Coco, beware he the great... Be here on set. Carter Braxton works. I don't miss a frickin' episode. Yeah. <laughs> 5.30 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow. All right, up next, final trades. Final trade, Julie Beals. You know, if you want a way to invest in the airlines but hate the debt, Heiko is a great way to do it. Karen. Yeah, uh, like we played in that new game that I seem to have forgotten the name of that's very similar to Would You Rather. <laughs> One-year T-bills. That's my final trade. Dan. Yeah, square. In the, in the face, Guy. <laughs> in I the face. I wouldn't be chasing this one here at 80. Guy. APA Corp. Melissa Lee. All right. Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.